I'm just going to pray, actually, first. Let's do that. That sounds good. Lord God, would you give us, uh, give me, give all of us open ears to hear you clearly this morning. Uh, Would you clear away all the things that we so easily drift towards that threaten to get in the way of seeing you? Uh, Yeah, help us to hear and see and follow you clearly. Amen. Um, Every time I do a talk, I always want to work backwards from one clear takeaway. That's good communication in my book. There's one point that sticks with everybody. Um, And then when I start thinking about that, uh, I always remember my granddad used to say this, my dad would say it, and it seems true to me as well. There's only really one thing I ever want to say to anybody, so I'm just going to say that just up front, you know, not really based on anything this morning. It's just always the one thing I want people to hear. Uh, And that is just that you are so loved by God. God loves you so much. Whoever you are, whatever is going on for you right now, wherever you've come from this morning, you are infinitely precious and valued. And God would go and has gone to the ends of the earth and back just for you. And you are so loved. And that's always really the one thing I ever want anybody to hear. With that being said, are you sitting comfortably? Okay, well, let's see if we can do something about that in the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, Right, we are, this is the last, I think, in our series on following Jesus. Um, We are looking at Luke chapter 13 today, verses 22 to 34. So let's read that. Um, little note before we start, this talks about the kingdom of God, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks about those things a lot. I've said it before, I'll say it again, just to clarify before we get uh, into this. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, not some magical, disembodied, special place in the sky with harps and wings that you get to after you die. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is the world where the two greatest commandments are true where we love God and we love our neighbor as ourselves. And we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The picture of the kingdom of heaven is that it is the rule of God's goodness uh, in every part of every person's life. Uh, And it can come on earth now. Uh, And so Jesus, in his ministry, goes around telling people about this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, what it is like to live and walk around in the kingdom of heaven, uh, in the place right here and now, uh, where we love God and we love our neighbors. And he's going around telling people pictures. Uh, This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he's sort of, at this point in the story, he's sort of on his way to Jerusalem, kind of recruiting people into the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. You're going to come and follow me and walk around in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. Um, And so that's where we pick up uh, this story. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, telling people about the kingdom of heaven, seeing how they respond. 
Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go and tell that fox. I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. So what's going on in that? story what what sort of there's kind of two encounters there there's the first person who says about aren't lots of aren't, aren't only a few people going to be saved and then there's the pharisees who come um and say you've got to get out of here herod's coming to kill you um and i think in both of these instances what we hear from jesus are two, two strong answers they're, they're pretty like hard to hear right those are not sort of gentle Uh, you know, stroke your hair and make everything feel better (laughs) answers. They're pretty robust. And I think they're quite sad. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I longed for this. And he's pleading. I think in both of these cases, um, Jesus gives a similar kind of answer. It's a strong, sad, pleading rebuke. He pushes back against the thing that the person suggests to him in both cases. Um, So, This one's interesting. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? I don't know. Maybe we'll do a quick show of hands. Who hears this when you first read it as an anxious question? As somebody worried that, oh, there's only about four people going to make the cut and I might not be one of them. Do you think that's... You can put your hands up if you think that's about right. Yes? No? Okay. Um, I think that's always how I instinctively read it but when I read it this time I I wonder actually if it's not an anxious question but actually it's a proud question just based on the answer that Jesus gives so the first thing that Jesus says is make sure make every effort you know and he tells him this thing about you've got to get through the narrow door but that doesn't really answer the question of are only a few people going to be saved Jesus does answer that question. It just comes a few verses further down. So this guy says, 
well, person we don't know, doesn't specify. This person says, are only a few people going to be saved? And you skip down, and the actual answer to the question is, people are going to come from east and west and north and south and take their place in the kingdom of God. And when you do that kind of north, south, east, west, we know what that means, right? That is like, every, it's, it's going to be so wide open. It's going to be so, there's going to be everybody there. There's going to be all kinds of people there. There's going to be people from north and south and east and west. There's going to be old. There's going to be young. There's going to be Jews and Gentiles, slave and free. There's going to be anyone and everyone you can think of is going to be in the feast of the kingdom of God. But Jesus' first answer to this person is make every effort. You, you make every effort to enter through the narrow door. And it just makes me wonder if actually that's a proud question. That this person who's opened their door to Jesus has gone, oh yeah, I'm, on, I'm, I'm one of the good ones, right? It's, isn't it right? He's, they're like rubbing their hands. Isn't it right that only a few of us special people are going to be saved? Isn't it right that there's only a few of us who know what, what's going on? Because Jesus' answer is, you've got to watch out. Because there's going to be all sorts of people there. It almost makes me wonder if this person is trying to draw up a dividing line um, and Jesus is breaking that line back down. In any case, whether it's a worried question or a proud question, Jesus rebukes the question and pushes back against the suggestion. Same with the Pharisees in the second bit. Um, They say, you need to leave. Herod's going to kill you. So two things there, make sure you leave, make sure you don't die. (laughs) Uh, And Jesus says, I've got a different idea on both those fronts, actually. (laughs) Um, I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on going. And so in both cases, um, Jesus quite strongly rebukes uh, the suggestion that is put to them. And I think what we see there is a picture of two different kingdoms. That these people who are coming to Jesus have got in mind a different kingdom than the one that he is looking at. Uh, And so you can see that there's different concerns going on in these exchanges. I mean, he literally paints this picture of two, two different kingdoms, or at least an inside and an outside kingdom, that... There'll be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. So he paints this contrast. Um, there's, there's this idea that there's one kingdom, there's the, there's the kingdom of God, where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are, and people are loving God and loving each other, and there's not that. You know, there's, there's like outside of that. And in the kingdom of God, lots of people who are last now are going to be first. And sort of by implication, that's the opposite. Kingdom works the other way around. People who think they're first get to go first. Um, And the same deal with these Pharisees. Again, they seem to have a different concern in mind than Jesus does. They've got their eyes on a different kingdom than the one that Jesus is looking at. So they're saying, you've got to get out because Herod wants to kill you. Because the most important thing is to make sure you stay alive. The prime concern that they're pitching to Jesus is, surely everybody is primarily interested in not being killed. But Jesus talks about going on to reach his goal. And then we see in that end bit, 
the difference between what Jerusalem is interested in and what the prophets, and I think Jesus is putting himself in there, are interested in. Jerusalem kills the prophets, stones those sent to them. Jesus is interested in gathering the children of Jerusalem uh, under his wings like a hen gathers her chicks, but Jerusalem is not willing. The prophets go to Jerusalem to tell them what God is like, and Jerusalem sends them out and stones them. They've got their eyes on a different kingdom. I think when it's talking about Jerusalem in general like this, that's like, you know, it's the capital city, and it's almost like the picture of the status quo, uh, the picture of uh, things being as they've always been. The prophets come in and tell a city that things need to be different, that they need to change their ways, that they're looking at the wrong kingdom. And the city says, well, we're all right, thanks. I'd rather keep things the way they are so you can get out of here. But so in both cases, Jesus is looking to a different kingdom than the people that he's speaking to. And he's sort of warning them and saying, make sure, change what you're looking at. Uh, look for the kingdom of heaven, not for this other kingdom that is all about preserving yourself, that is all about preserving the status quo, that is all about you being in the special few, that is all about what, what suits you. And you see that all the way through uh, the Bible, all the way through the Gospels. Jesus does this to almost, almost every encounter this happens. Um, somebody will think that they've got the hang of the kingdom and Jesus will be like, no, 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 it's over here. It's not like that, it's here. So whether that is, I don't know, um, when Peter wants to set up the tents and says, Lord, this is a good place for us to be. Let's stay here where we, we've got this amazing experience going on. Let's, let's keep it. Jesus says, no. Or when the disciples want to shout at the woman for breaking the jar of perfume over Jesus' feet because they say that money could have been spent on the poor. We've got the hang of this. We know what this kingdom is about. It's about making sure you look after the poor. And Jesus says, no. You're looking to the wrong place because actually you're not concerned about the poor. You're concerned about you looking like the important big shots who get to set the rules. And this woman who's breaking the jar of perfume, she really is the one looking at the kingdom. Uh, or when the Sons of Thunder, as we heard about the other week, are arguing over who's going to have the better seat next to Jesus. And he rebukes them and says, no, it's not about that. It's first will be last and last will be first. All the way through, as soon as anybody thinks that they've got the hang of how this kingdom works, Jesus loves rebuking them and says, no, no, you've got to look for where it really is, what it really looks like to surrender yourself uh, to the love of God and the love of others. And it works in reverse as well. As soon as anybody thinks they've got the hang of who isn't in the kingdom, Jesus loves shutting that down as well and saying, no, no, you're looking at all the wrong things. So, you know, almost anybody that Jesus comes into contact with, surely, surely a Roman soldier, the embodiment of the oppression that um, Jews are suffering, surely they are not going to be welcomed. But Jesus has mercy and uh, commends the guy's faith. Surely a leper, surely a tax collector, surely a prostitute, surely all of these people, that surely they are excluded from the kingdom of God, surely. And Jesus rebukes that and says, no, no, you're looking at this kingdom all wrong. 
this is a kingdom that is going to be full of people from north and south and east and west. But anyway, so Jesus has got this idea. He's got the kingdom of heaven in mind. And here are some more people who have got a different kingdom in mind. And he rebukes them. And he rebukes them sadly. <laughs> and I think the message in both of these stories, in both of these exchanges, Jesus is saying to these people, please, please, please don't miss the kingdom of God for this other kingdom that you've got your eyes on. Please don't be uh, so caught up in the things that are foremost in your mind that you miss the kingdom of heaven. That's why he talks about it as a narrow door. So he says, uh, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, or in some translations, strive to, or work hard to. Uh, some people would even suggest you should translate it, agonize. You've got to work so, so hard to make sure this doesn't happen, uh, to not miss the kingdom of heaven. And so whether that is for the first person, whether they're in danger of missing it um, because they're anxious, or whether they're in danger, you know, that they're, they're in danger of misunderstanding how big the grace of God is. Um, maybe the, the Pharisees are missing it because they're anxious about preserving life, uh, making sure that... that you look after number one and you don't get yourself in danger. Maybe Jerusalem is in danger of missing it because they're interested in preserving the status quo and keeping things comfortable and happy and straightforward the way they always were. But it seems like Jesus says to all sorts of people in all different situations for all sorts of different reasons, make sure you don't miss the kingdom of God and this narrow door over here because you've got your eyes on a different kingdom. So what is that other kingdom that is so easy to put our eyes on instead of the kingdom of God? Why is it that we have to strive to avoid it? And what is this other kingdom that Jesus seems to be rebuking? When he's saying to people, no, no, you've misunderstood. It's not there. It's over here. No, no, you've misunderstood. It doesn't work like that. It works like this. What is that other kingdom that is so easy to drift into? Um, I've decided this morning, it's called lots of different things at different times in the Bible. Um, I'm calling it, as a shorthand for, for today, uh, the kingdom of self-interest. Uh, or to put it another way, cozy. Um, I, think, I think ultimately that is always what this other kingdom is. But I think especially so um, in our society and our time right now. There are always different things that can be what we drift into that are in danger of taking us away from the kingdom of God. But I think they ultimately reduce down to this, and especially so for us, the kingdom of self-interest, the kingdom of what suits me, the kingdom of what is convenient, the kingdom of what is easy, the kingdom of what makes my life comfortable and straightforward and nice and pleasant without me having to think about it too hard right now. I think that person... In the first, you know, I think they've got their self-interest in mind. Aren't, aren't only a few going to be saved? They want to feel special. They want to feel like they're in the club. That's in their self-interest. And Jesus says, make sure you're not drifting through the broad way here. Make sure you're looking out for that narrow door. Maybe the narrow door for you is you need to have a bigger picture of who's going to be in the kingdom of God because there's going to be people from north and south and east and west there. 
um, to Jerusalem. Maybe he's saying that the kingdom of self-interest wants you to, to turf out the prophets and the people who tell you hard truths because they're inconvenient to hear. They demand a change of your ways. And we don't want to do that. And Jesus laments for Jerusalem. You're so caught up in what is easy and convenient and suits you and keeps your life in line with the status quo. You're in danger of missing the kingdom of God. Kingdom of self-interest gets everywhere. It's so easy to go for cozy. What is cozy? What is comfortable? What is convenient for me right now? Um, I want to spend a little bit of time just looking at some of the differences between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self-interest. Um, we could talk about this forever. It's pretty much what the whole of the Bible is about. Um, looking at how can we educate ourselves to make sure that we have got our eyes on the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of self-interest. But here's just a few. Uh, so I think the narrow way of the kingdom of God is founded entirely on love. And the kingdom of self-interest ultimately tends towards luxury. Love is all about uh, concern for others and giving. And luxury is all about concern for self and getting. And I'm not saying that every time you have anything nice, every time you have a bottle of wine, like on this picture here, uh, that that condemns you as somebody who's living in the kingdom of self-interest. But I'm saying that the kingdom of God's ultimate good is love. The kingdom of self-interest's ultimate good is luxury. And if we get into a place where what we ultimately want out of life is luxury, then we're drifting down the broad, cozy way of the kingdom of self-interest. I mean, Jesus turned water into wine at a party, right? This is one of the things that is so complicated about these things, is that they aren't hard and fast rules. I'm not saying that the luxury of sitting on a nice sofa, enjoying a bottle like that, is automatically disastrous. Jesus turns water into wine. He makes a party more cozy, maybe, arguably. But he's in pursuit of the kingdom. And we mustn't mistake what is a kingdom thing in one moment for the kingdom thing forever. It's not like every miracle Jesus does ends up with him turning some water into wine. It's not like everything is about making the party as good as the party can be. There was something about that moment in time where the narrow way of the kingdom of God was calling for that. But so much of the rest of the time it is calling for something else. And if we ever mistake a blessing of God for him wanting to turn us into a life of luxury, then we've missed the narrow way of the kingdom of God and slipped into the broad, cozy way of self-interest. Because it's about what blesses others. The, the narrow way of the kingdom of God is about what blesses others. And the broad way of the broad, cozy way of self-interest is about what blesses me. That's another thing we can look out for. If we are in this for what we can get out of it, then I'm sorry, but we're in danger of missing the kingdom of God in exchange for the kingdom of self-interest. And I say that because I do this too. I do this all the time. So many of my uh, choices, so many of my day-to-day -day instincts really are guided by what blesses me, not what is going to bless others. Because it's so easy. It's easy to understand what feels good for me, and it's much easier to do what blesses me. But sometimes 
what blesses me doesn't match up with what blesses others. And if I want to follow Jesus and walk on the paths of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self-interest, then I've got to learn to choose what blesses others over what blesses me. And if I feel like the reason that it's good to follow Jesus is because I get blessing out of it myself, then I'm in danger of sliding down the broad way of self-interest. Maybe it's the problem that I think the first person in our story had. Um, maybe this is a temptation. that The narrow way of the kingdom of God calls for radical inclusion. And the broad, cozy way is so often around convenient exclusion. It is so much easier to draw up the lines of who is in and out based on what suits us, who is easy for us to be around, who is not like us. And the narrow way of the kingdom of God the north, the south, the east, the west, that everybody is going to be there and you're going to be surprised at who is in there is all about radical inclusion. That can be a hard choice sometimes to remember. But the narrow way of the kingdom of God is, is about bringing in people from the furthest flung reaches, the people you would never expect, the people that society overlooks, the people that everybody else writes off. They all get welcomed into the feast. The broad and cosy way is to keep the awkward people, the people who aren't like us, the people who don't suit our natural way of being or whatever, keep them out. They'll be so much neater and tidier, so much more cosy. But the narrow way of the kingdom of God calls for radical inclusion. Maybe uh, like what I think the issue is with Jerusalem in the second part of that story, um, maybe the temptation, the kingdom of self-interest temptation, is towards comfort. One of the ways you know whether you're drifting into the kingdom of self-interest rather than the kingdom of God is if you're prioritizing your own comfort, even if the price is someone else's welfare, over justice, even if the price is self-sacrifice. The narrow way of the kingdom of God calls for justice, even if it is costly for us. And so often, again, I do this. I make the choices that bring me comfort, even if the price is someone else's welfare. I say I want to follow Jesus. I want to live in this kingdom that is about loving God and loving others, that puts others' needs before my own. And yet so often I choose my own comfort when I know it brings somebody else uh, harm. The narrow way of the kingdom of God is justice, even if the price is self-sacrifice. The narrow way of the kingdom of God is the way of the cross. The broad, cozy way is the way of the scepter or the sword of power and of might. If we say we want to follow Jesus, we've got to remember where that journey goes. Sure, it might wind up in resurrection, but it takes you through crucifixion. The way of Jesus leads to a cross. You've got to take up your cross and follow Jesus. And that means dying to self, but it also means choosing not to be about getting um, power and might and doing things on those terms. Not like Pontius Pilate just having the, the power to be able to not worry about these problems. It's not my, it's not my issue. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to wash my hands of it, let somebody else decide, because I'm powerful enough that I can get away with that. Or to pick the sword and to say, I'm going to decide 
how the world works because I've got more strength, I've got more might, I've got more capacity for violence than the person next to me. We've got to choose the narrow way of the cross that rejects those things. On both of those, uh, there are so many systems that do these two things in the world that we live in. So much of our world is based around getting people comfort at the expense of somebody else. So much is around the accumulation of power and might and wielding it over other people. And it is really uncomfortable to break out of those systems, but it isn't good enough to just coast along in them. That is going down the broad way of keeping things cosy. It's not enough. Systems of sexism, of racism, they, they are systems like this. They are systems that preserve some people's comfort at the expense of other people's welfare. And it is not enough to just not actively do those things. The call of the narrow way is to actively resist them, to push back against power and influence and might and our comfort at somebody else's expense. We've got to stand up against those things. That's the narrow way. Uh, and maybe this is the one I want to finish on. The narrow way of the kingdom of God is the one that says grace is enough. That we are totally loved, like I said right at the top. The cozy way, the way of the cozy life, says that nothing is ever enough. Your life is never smoothed out enough. Your filter has never gotten rid of quite enough blemishes. There's always a slightly better place to go to that your life will be happy and fulfilled when you just get this one thing more. The narrow way of the kingdom of God says that God's grace is enough. That you don't need to add anything to your life to be precious to and loved by God. That you don't need to become any particular kind of person to qualify. That's the broad and cosy way. I mean, I just want to say, and I can say this because I do it myself, I hate cosy. I really hate it. I hate how those things manifest and what they do and what they say to people. Uh, I hate when it feels like the biggest hope that we've got for anybody is that they'll get a promotion, they'll earn 45 grand a year. You know, may their car never run out of oil, may the sun always shine on their barbecues, may they never have a headache. That's so small, that hope. And it plays into the broad way, the cozy way, the self-interested way that the world wants to give us that says you've just got to have a bit more. You've just got to smooth your life out. You've just got to be as good as everybody else. And then you'll be happy. Happiness is not the goal. Being the same as everybody else is not the goal. The narrow way of the kingdom of God is a radical new world built on love. And in that self-interest doesn't, doesn't get there. It's not good enough. That is not the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of John Lewis. And I hate when it feels like we make the two the same thing. When we mix up the kingdom of the lovely John Lewis life for the kingdom of God. They are not the same thing.
sure, sometimes God will want to bless people uh, and alleviate the pain that they're in, improve their circumstances, sure. But let's not make the mistake of thinking that that is God's highest good for our lives. I hate cosy because of the way that it makes people feel like they are or aren't in or out. Uh, I think of our friend James, James Homeless. Uh, He is not cosy. He is not neat and tidy. But does he walk around on the roads of the kingdom of God? Absolutely he does. Does he demonstrate the grace of God? Does he model the inclusivity of God? Does he experience the love of God? Of course he does. Is he a comfortable person to spend time with? No. He'd get chucked out of John Lewis. He doesn't get chucked out of the kingdom of God. And I hate when we give off the idea that what we're all about in the kingdom of God is cozy, comfortable, convenient, life that suits you on your terms, life that is neat and tidy. And I hate the way that it stops us from fighting hard against the things that need to be fought hard against. I need to finish because this is just turning into a rant that I could go on and on with. Um, It's hard to learn to discern the difference. That's why Jesus says, you've got to strive, you've got to agonize, you've got to work hard. It's easy to drift into the broad way of self-interest. It is hard to keep spotting what is the kingdom of God way and to choose to follow it. And it will often be costly. But if we want to follow Jesus, we believe that that is better and we want to choose those costly ways because that is the kingdom of justice, of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness, of the world that we want to see. I had a whole thing about learning how to identify those doors. Like, how do we learn to pick out the narrow way from the other ways? Look, here's all some hypothetical choices we could make. How do we learn to choose the narrow door rather than the red door or the second door or whatever other one it is? Um, I just want to finish with that as a practical suggestion, and then we'll pray. I won't do this in full depth. But just as as a little suggestion... How do we actually do this day to day? How do we learn to see the narrow way of the kingdom of God? Maybe one small thing we could do is just pick a couple of random times in the day. Because this isn't about the big decisions of your life, it's about every living, breathing second. Just pick a couple of random times in the day. Maybe put a reminder in your phone, write them on your hand, um, whatever it might be. And stop at whatever that point of the day is. And just ask yourself, just intentionally ask yourself, am I drifting down the cozy, comfortable way of self-interest here? Or is there a narrow way of the kingdom of God that I can be looking out for? At quarter past two in the afternoon, in my job, I've just been getting on with my day, just to stop and say, let me, let me think about this carefully. Am I striving here for the self-giving kingdom of God or am I sliding down the broad and cosy way of self-interest?